Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems, and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Here's a question for you. How many shapes can one thought take? And another? What happens to a thought after it leaves our mind? Well, to help you find an answer, I'm going to read a a quote, an interesting quote from the entity Seth. He says, Environments are primarily mental creations of consciousness, thrust out into many forms. I have a 14th century study, my favorite with which I am very pleased, for example. In your physical terms, it does not exist, and I know quite well it is my mental production. Yet, I enjoy it, and often take a physical form in order to sit at the desk and look out the window at the countryside. You do the same thing when you sit in your living room, but you don't realize what you're doing, and presently you are somewhat restricted. When my associates and I meet, we often translate each other's thoughts into various shapes and forms out of pure enjoyment in the practice. We have what you might call a game demanding some expertise where, for our own amusement, we see which of us can translate any given thought into the most numerous forms. Now, we all know by this time that before anything comes into our physical world and materializes in it, it first has to be a thought. Nothing comes about without someone first thinking about it. But, on the other hand, I have never thought about a thought taking more than one shape, have you? Now that I think about it, a a thought of great joy might, in one reality, come across as uh, great sparkling colors and in another, uh, fireworks, and in another, who knows what, let's see, maybe waters dancing in a brook, maybe a forest showing off bright colors, maybe a million lollipops in the reality where candy is prized highly. You have to remember Seth and his associates, as he calls them, uh, they don't really have any abilities uh, more than we have. And we will eventually have them. And in fact, since there is no time outside of our human time-space illusion, we already do have them. So it might be an interesting exercise for you to think about all the different shapes that one given thought might take in different realities. Here's another Seth comment about thought. There are such subtle qualities affecting the nature of all thought such emotional gradations that no one thought is ever identical. And incidentally, no physical object in your system is an exact duplicate of any other. The atoms and molecules that compose it, any object, have their own identities that color and qualify any object that they form. Well, I never thought about that either, that no two thoughts could be identical. Let's say you and a loved one were looking out at a beautiful scene of of mountains with a 
a majestic sight and clouds and colorful shrubbery, or not shrubbery, colorful leaves on the trees. And you're both thinking how beautiful and how awesome it is. You might say one to the other, well, we're both thinking the same thing. This is certainly a beautiful, awesome sight. But apparently, uh, you'd be wrong. You'd be thinking it's beautiful in one way, and in some tiny deviation from your own thought, uh, your loved one thinks of it in a different way. The emotional gradations are so fine that no one thought can be identical to the other. I, I haven't really ever, quote, thought about that. Likewise, in a great crowd where they are uh, intent on starting a revolution, they might think they all have the same thought, freedom and kill the enemy. But you know what? They don't. Each of them has their own variation of that thought. Now let's go to another comment about thoughts affecting our bodies. He says, your bodies not only change completely every seven years, for example, but they change constantly with each breath. Within the flesh, atoms and molecules die constantly and are replaced. The hormones are in a constant state of motion and alteration. Electromagnetic properties of, uh, properties of skin and cell continually leap and change and even reverse themselves. The physical matter that composed your body a moment ago is different in important ways from the matter that forms your body in this instant. Well, I, I never really thought about that. I assume my body's pretty much the same. Uh, maybe it gets a little bit weaker each day or whatever. And some days or weeks it might get stronger. But to think that it changed with each, changes with each passing moment, moment in significant ways, well, that's, that's quite a thought. Seth says that's due to our tendency to focus on continuities and similarities as opposed to uh, focusing on the dissimilarities. Here's what he has to say about that. If you perceive the constant change within your body with as much persistence as you attend to its seemingly permanent nature, then you'd be amazed that you ever considered the body as one more or less constant, more or less cohesive entity. Even subjectively, you focus upon and indeed manufacture the idea of a relatively stable, relatively permanent conscious self. You stress those ideas and thoughts and attitudes that you recall from, quote, past experience as your own, completely ignoring those that once were, quote, characteristic and now are vanished, ignoring the fact also that you cannot hold thought. The thought of a moment before, in your terms, vanishes away. You try to maintain a constant, relatively permanent physical and subjective self in order to maintain a relatively constant, relatively permanent environment. So you are always in a position of ignoring such change. Those that you refuse to acknowledge are precisely those that would give you a much better understanding of the true nature of reality, individual subjectivity, and the physical environment that seems to surround you. So it seems that we're very selective in the thoughts and attitudes that we choose to remember. And apparently, this is a very limiting factor in our awareness. It's interesting, he talks about thoughts that have now vanished, but then comes the question, do they vanish? Well, let's see what he says about that. 
he asks the question, what happens to a thought when it leaves your conscious mind? It does not simply disappear. You can learn to follow it. I never realized that. You can learn to follow it, but you are usually frightened of turning your attention away from its intense focus in three-dimensional existence. It's what we have here on the earth. Therefore, it seems that the thought disappears. It seems that your subjectivity has a mysterious unknown quality about it, and even your mental life has a sort of insidious dropping-off point, a subjective cliff over which thoughts and memories fall to disappear into nothingness. That's what I always figured. Therefore, to protect yourself, to protect your subjectivity from drift, drifting, you erect various psychological barriers at what you suppose to be the danger points. Instead, you see, you can follow these thoughts and their emotions simply by realizing that your own reality continues in another direction beside the one with which you mainly identify. For these thoughts and emotions that have left your conscious mind will lead you into other environments. Well, now, that that seems very strange, doesn't it? Uh, You can follow the thoughts once once they leave your mind. (laughs) You can follow them and follow them, and it'll take you like some invisible guide to some other realities and other environments. I never even considered anything like that of you. Well, Seth further explains here, these subjective openings through which thoughts seem to disappear are in fact like psychic warps connecting the self that you know with other universes of experience, realities where symbols come to life and thoughts are not denied their potential. Well, here I have to admit that while I have never thought about it and that in those precise terms, I have often thought about Seth's comment that your slightest thought can give birth to worlds and that your slightest thought can make flowers grow in another reality. But I just accepted that and never thought about how it happens or the mechanics of it. Seth then connects all this in an interesting way to uh, our dream state. He says, There's communication between these other realities and your own in your dream states, and a constant interaction between both systems. If there is any point where your own consciousness seems to elude you or escape you, or if there's any point where your consciousness seems to end, then these are the points where you have yourselves set up psychological and psychic barriers. And these are precisely those areas that you should explore. Otherwise, you feel as if your consciousness is enclosed within your skull, immobile and constricted, and every lost thought or forgotten memory, at least symbolically, seems like a small death, and such is not the case. Here, of course, we have uh, discussed in detail uh, dreams and how we help create them and the fact that they can influence us and we can use them to try out different probabilities uh, that we might choose one or another to make real. Um, And we talked about how they solve problems. And as we know, many great inventions come about after someone awakens from sleep. But I'll have to to be honest, I, I never really thought about the function of dreams to help us realize we can, in fact, expand and travel with our consciousness. 
and that if we recognize this, great. And if we don't, we'll think we're <clears throat> we are forever enclosed within these bodies, and that uh, every lost thought or forgotten memory is uh, symbolically like a like a small death. We know, of course, that we <clears throat> travel outside of our bodies with our consciousness when we dream, when we sleep, but I hadn't really thought about it, <clears throat> excuse me, in quite that way. Well, I'm going to end to today's discussion right here, but I hope I've given you some food for thought about thoughts. Once again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.